from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. So one way or another, almost every coal plant in America is hiding evidence of contamination or failing to take action on the evidence of contamination. We are definitely in compliance with the CCR rule requirements. I would argue any one of these sites in Missouri or nationwide pose a risk to the people who live near it. Are they legal? Are they, like, sketchy? (laughs) (laughs) Both, I think, is the answer. They're legal and they're sketchy. Digging it up, drying it out, recycling parts of it. But a multi-billion dollar company who has plenty of resources to fix the problem complained it's too expensive to do, therefore we're not going to do it. Because that's pretty much what Ameren has said. I'm Elaine Cha. Coal ash isn't something most folks post about casually on social media or discuss at the supper table or around the old water cooler. Yet CCR, or coal ash, which is the solid waste material left from burning coal, has a connection to so much of what we use in everyday life. And it's so harmful that the 2015 coal ash rule and EPA regulations stipulate how it should be disposed of. Just two months ago, a new report titled Poisonous Cover-Up was released by two environmental groups, Earth Justice and the Environmental Integrity Project. That report says that four Ameren sites near St. Louis, Sioux Energy, Labadee Power Station, Merrimack Energy Center, and Rush Island Energy Center are among 12 energy plants in Missouri that aren't disposing of coal ash as the 2015 rule and EPA regulations delineate. And Ameren is among the 91% of power companies evading federal regulations for coal ash disposal. To get some background on that, we spoke with Abel Russ, a co-author of the 212-page Poisonous Cover-Up report. How is it that these companies are disposing of their coal ash? Yeah, so it's historically been done in um, what are called ash ponds or surface impoundments, but it's a pit in the ground, and you mix the ash with water and you pour it into the pond. The idea was that you would put everything in a giant pond and the ash and contaminants would settle to the bottom and you'd have cleaner water at the top that you could discharge into a river. Um, We now know that that doesn't work very well because many of the pollutants are dissolved and so they don't actually settle out. But that was the idea once upon a time. The other version is a landfill, which is a dry disposal unit, just like a municipal solid waste landfill, except it's full of coal ash. They're almost as likely to contaminate the groundwater because they're frequently built in a way where they don't have a liner, they don't have a cap, um, and the contaminants come into contact with water and they leach out and they get into the groundwater or they get into the surface water just like they would from the ash pond. Now, what are the chemicals, Abel, that are leaking out of these coal ash ponds? It's a mix of metals that are in coal, and then they get concentrated in the coal ash, and it includes uh, some familiar ones like arsenic. Most people have heard of it. causes cancer. It's also neurotoxin. Lithium, uh, it's uh, a component of electric car batteries for what it's worth, but it's also neurotoxin and it's dangerous. Um, boron, um, the people may have heard of as an element of borax, but it's also toxic to human health and to aquatic life. Um, manganese, molybdenum, selenium cobalt, cadmium, there's a whole list of 
metals with a variety of health effects in coal ash. So it sounds like a, a toxic cocktail. Yeah, right. And are these modes of disposal, um, at least at the energy plants, are they legal? Are they, like, sketchy? <laughs> <laughs> Both, I think, is the answer. They're legal and they're sketchy. Um, so the coal ash rule doesn't, doesn't necessarily prohibit certain things. It, it says if you don't have, if your coal ash pond is too close to the groundwater, you have to close it. And so then it becomes uh, illegal to keep operating it if, if it doesn't meet certain location restriction criteria or what have you. So what is the poisonous cover-up, as the report is titled? Yeah, so that's um, a colorful title. And, and the reason we uh, used that language is because our report found that 91% of the coal plants in the country are contaminated, and yet only 53% of those contaminated plants are in corrective action. Only 14% of those plants have selected a cleanup remedy at this point, and we think there's only one maybe plant in the country that's selected an adequate remedy. About half of them are, hi- are basically hiding the evidence of contamination and pretending it's not there. They say that it's coming from something other than their coal ash dumps. They analyze the data in a way that makes it look like there's no contamination when we know there is. So one way or another, almost every coal plant in America is hiding evidence of contamination or failing to take action on the evidence of contamination. And that's the cover-up. The poisonous part is just the fact that 91% you know, of these power plants have created a situation where the groundwater is unsafe for human health or, and or for aquatic life. And that 91% includes Ameren in St. Louis? It does, yeah. So the Ameren plants in our database um, all have contamination of one kind or another, but all of them have unsafe levels of multiple coal ash pollutants. Now, a part of the 2015 coal ash rule requires companies to look at different ways to fix problems surrounding coal ash disposal. We reached out to Ameren for comment on the Poisonous Cover-Ups report's assertion that the four plants near STL, again, Sioux Energy, Labadee Power Station, Merrimack Energy Center, and Rush Island Energy Center are contaminated. Um, You know, the report itself, I think, uh, mischaracterizes um, some of the, the issues at hand, we are we are definitely in compliance with the CCR rule requirements. It just didn't make good common sense to spend years transporting that CCR material across the our community's roads in large trucks when we can resolve any issue, any remaining issues through another means. And so we wanted to make sure that we are good stewards of the communities that which we work and live in. And and we looked at the other options, including closure of the basins in place with groundwater treatment. And that, at the end of the day, that was the best solution for the quickest remediation of our sites. The water in the Missouri and Mississippi rivers are unimpacted by our operations in that, that we certainly do have um, clean water, clean groundwater outside of our operations, outside of our footprints. That comment from Craig Giesman, Director of Environmental Services for Ameren, Missouri, in St. Louis, included mention of communities from a more spatial point of view. 
Now here to speak with us from a people in community perspective, we have Patricia Shuba, president of the board of Labadee Environmental Organization, a grassroots, nonpartisan, nonprofit dedicated to addressing important environmental issues through education and empowerment. Patricia, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for including us in the conversation today. Now, Labadee Power Station is one of the plants named in the report. Where in relation to waterways and aquifers does the Labadee plant sit? The Labadee Power Plant is in Labadee, Missouri, which is west of St. Louis County, and it sits right on the Missouri River, so it's um, very close to the Missouri River that Missourians draw water for drinking and other purposes in the city and beyond. Um, it's also very close to about a hundred private wells uh, of citizens that live near the town of Labadee, um, and it's right above the floodplain where the ash pits are located. And those ash pits are located on the site of the plant or somewhere outside? They are. They are. And, um, but we also can't neglect the fact that much of this ash over decades has been moved out into communities for construction projects and other purposes. But um, this report is talking about both coal ash pits and landfills and potentially legacy sites that have not been identified to the federal government for falling under this rule. Now, let's talk about the public and its perception. What is a common misapprehension people have about indicators of how, quote, okay or bad things are around coal ash contamination? I think the average citizen um, after they're educated about the issue of what coal waste is, how it's disposed of, how we monitor it, and the pollutants that are in it are quite concerned that this is polluting local groundwater around these sites. And again, in Missouri, most of us drink from private wells that are not monitored uh, routinely, or we drink from public sources, which are the river or deeper wells closer to these sites that can be contaminated. So most of the individuals in Labadee, after we started talking about the issue, became very concerned enough so that about 500 of us showed up at the county hearings to talk about this issue. Mm -hmm. And on that note, uh, on the micro level, um, individual actions level, what measures can folks who live near any of the four Ameren plants in the report take to protect themselves in their own homes now? Well, there's many things that we can do both to protect ourselves in our homes and to speak out on this issue. I know for many of us, we've started uh, filtering our drinking water that we use in our homes and being more aware of the fact of the water that we use to like irrigate or water our plants and our food plants. Uh, many of us in the Labadee area our farmers our grow our own food. I think it's a heightened awareness and being careful about how you use water because water is one of the pathways to which these pollutants like arsenic and even unregulated pollutants like aluminum can reach you and your family. You know, public oversight is actually a significant component to the issue of coal ash disposal and contamination. And you have specific examples of the way members of the public have flexed their citizen power to ensure energy companies are in compliance with the coal ash rule. Tell us, Patricia, about the way 
regular community members did that in Columbia, Missouri? Well, Columbia, Missouri is one of the excellent examples of how um, individuals in the community can impact their electric provider and ensure that they are looking at what we call clean closure, which in my mind is the only complete cleanup of a site is to remove the ash from the site, recycle it, or put it in a lined landfill away from water and people. And Columbia is one of the early sites in Missouri where the co-op, which um, has individuals from the community on the board, said this is too risky for our community. And actually, I think there was a quote at the time that said there's no way we can be certain that these pollutants will not harm people near the site or in the city of Columbia. So they chose to make the investment in excavating the waste and sending it to a lined landfill. And then they went through the, the procedure of uh, remediating the ground and the water around the site. And that was an old um, lake that had been used for fishing even. And so there was water and coal waste mixed together. It was a, a dangerous site for the community. But I would argue any one of these sites in Missouri or nationwide pose a risk to the people who live near it and to groundwater and surface water like our rivers and streams that we all use. So Columbia made the right choice. There's actually, in this report, it details um, the number of sites that have chosen to do this in Missouri. And Columbia is an example of a very small power plant. Mm -hmm. So it's been argued by the utilities that that's an easy fix for a small plant. But there's also larger plants like Montrose, New Madrid, uh, Sibley, uh, Blue Valley, places across the state, Iatan has chose to do this at one of their, their ponds. So uh, there's at least eight or nine sites across the state where power plants have chosen to do clean closure, which again is the safest remedy, most complete remedy to reducing the risks to both people and to our water resources. And can you remind us what clean closure is and what it means? So clean closure is the total removal of waste on site. So digging it up, drying it out, recycling parts of it because we can use it in wallboard and concrete applications and then the remainder of the dangerous waste being put in a lined landfill out of a floodplain, not in contact with water. Uh, and this is the issue that needs to be highlighted in Missouri is many of these sites are right on our major rivers, and so they're in constant contact with groundwater. Now, questions around the EPA and what it can and can't, or maybe doesn't and won't do, come up around matters involving environmental regulation. Producer Avery Rogers spoke with Bob Manese, a staff attorney for Great Rivers Environmental Law Center, who does its work on behalf of their client, uh, Missouri Confluence Waterkeeper. Um, she spoke, they spoke with uh, Bob about the EPA's responses to what's happening around coal ash. I think the federal government set some regulations that were okay but not great, and that it's the executive branch's prerogative to enforce the law, and that for many years, I think that the utilities understood that they weren't going to get any enforcement or any pushback from the federal government. And one of the main reasons that the federal government regulates environmental things is because states 
you know, are notorious for not enforcing environmental laws. And so then if you're in a time when the CCR rule is supposed to be shutting down these ash ponds and making the right decisions on the remedy about whether things can be left in place or not left in place, and you have a federal agency at the time who's basically looking the other way, it explains why we've gotten to a point where this is the reality. There's, I guess, still time, hopefully, to fix some of these problems under a more, more in, you know, enforcing EPA administration. But that's unfortunately the way the CCR rule was set up was, well, let's kind of leave this to the states and citizens, and we as the federal government are not going to take as active a role as we would with something that we consider a, a hazardous waste. That was Great Rivers Environmental Law Center staff attorney Bob Meniz talking about the 2015 coal ash rule and the EPA's involvement around adherence and regulation. Patricia, in many respects, what Bob described isn't ideal, but it leaves room for citizens to mobilize and move things in a way other governmental bodies either can't or won't because of the way the coal ash rule is written. How do people on the ground feel when they realize that they can do something? Well, I think um, what Bob referred to is the fact that the EPA coal ash rule is self-implementing, which was a choice at the time that the polluters actually regulate themselves. Um, The citizens are always engaged uh, legally and otherwise in the implementation of federal regulations. There's always a component of required public input, often in the case of hearings. And so what we did is we grabbed onto those opportunities to engage. It required that we actually educated ourselves about the issues and in the process of doing that we came together in groups and we provided support to each other and then we took that collective energy and put it before our regulators. Uh, The first body was in our own county through zoning laws and then we went further to advocate before our state regulators, the Department of Natural Resources, and the whole time engaging with the federal EPA in our Region 7 EPA office. And in that process, um, that's what the regulators need to see. They need to see that people care about this issue and the whole milieu of other environmental issues and that they put some attention to it. It also wakes up your local elected officials and your state elected officials to know that this is a priority. The priorities in society come from the grassroots, from people who elect others to represent them, and that's how we approach uh, advocating. And it was very successful in the fact that we got a better built landfill at the Labadee site and at some other sites across the state, and also that um, we were able to enforce some of these future actions on cleanup. Um, So it's the way that we felt motivated and we actually found kinship together to work on these issues and then we use that collective power to change the outcomes. A prime example is what happened at the Sioux plant here in the St. Louis region and mm-hmm. at Labadee. Um, at about the same time, um, Ameren was putting forth landfill regulations to county boards and they were making decisions about how to incorporate it into the zoning law. And because we were engaged in Franklin County, we were able to get better regulations 
than what were written into law in um, the area in North County, St. Louis County. And as a result, we probably prevented some of the long-term pollution that could have happened or been worse if we had not been engaged. Now, Bob Menes also he also said that what folks did in the municipality of Columbia, Missouri, is an instance of clean closure, which you just described earlier, that many regard as an example of success and an example he doesn't see power companies following. Why a municipal utility who has to, you know, use taxpayer dollars to remove coal ash and put it somewhere safer is willing to do that, but a multi-billion dollar company who has plenty of resources to fix the problem complained it's too expensive to do, therefore we're not going to do it. Because that's pretty much what Amron has said. Patricia, how can community members um, effect some change around what's being reported about lack of coal ash compliance by Amarin? Well, I think um, to address what Bob said about sites like Columbia and the choices here in our state, uh, there actually is a fair amount of literature out there about the increased benefit to both communities and to the environment, like two to seven times increased income and protection to communities uh, if the utilities invest in clean closure. Of course, they're not going to want to do that because it costs them money, but our regulators need to look at that sort of set of information together and say, this, is, this benefits society, this be benefits our communities uh, in the form of jobs, in the form of improved property values, and long-term solutions for the use of that land. So every time the Amarins of the world tell me it's impossible to do this, it costs too much money, um, we're trying to be good stewards of our communities, and uh, we don't think this is impacting uh, the local community or the water, I go back to those studies that say best solution is clean closure, and they're not choosing to do that basically because of their bottom line, not ours collectively. Patricia Shuba is president of the Board of Labadee Environmental Organization, a grassroots nonprofit, nonpartisan nonprofit dedicated to addressing important environmental issues through education and empowerment. Patricia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. If you're a member of the public wanting to voice your concerns about Amron's coal ash compliance issues, public hearings that begin on January 31st will be a space where customer comments can be made in person and virtually. More information is available on stlonair.show and on the Public Service Commission website, psc.mo.gov. Today's episode was produced by Avery Rogers. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group.
you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.